Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Righteous Brick Podcast. I'm your host, J.L. Covan. It is 11.44 a.m. on February 27th in the year of our Lord, 2023. Six years ago, my father passed away. So, happy anniversary. Just kidding. No, that's, uh, it's six years is a crazy, it's crazy to think it's been six years because it's like so much has happened in six years to me personally, to the world that you feel like, wow, that's like a lifetime ago. And then all of a sudden you're like six years already. Jesus. Um, but yeah, I, uh, so whenever the phone rings, I got a call from my mom that morning at around 8am or 9am. And it was, uh, it was, I guess I, I didn't really expect it, even though he had been sort of out of it. I'd still think it was very poetic. Um, and it, it's the same way my uncle, who passed away in September of 2020, um, it felt very similar. And I know I'm, I'm more, a more religious person than, than most people who probably listen to this show. But it was very interesting because he was sort of just, he wasn't in a coma or anything, but he had just been kind of not just sleeping, kind of in a restful state. Um, I think he had had flu or, or pneumonia, whatever the case may be. Um, and I went to visit him, talked to him for a little bit. You know, he was fairly non-responsive, though he did kind of respond when one of the nurses said something. Um, I think she had said, would you like me to suck your dick? And I saw him like flicker, the eyes flicker. And I was like, hey, wait a second. Are you really, are you really out of it? I'm, I'm kidding, guys. But he, the nurse had said something and I just kind of have like a brief reaction but he was mostly out of it and then my brother unbeknownst to me visited him that night a sunday night and then that monday morning my mom called to say he was gone that's that's her way of saying uh someone has died uh because she said it again when my uncle passed away she called me and said he's gone um and then i uh immediately went into hell and notes he's gone he's gone and anyway, um, I know that she's gone, guys. I know fact checkers. It's she's gone. That's the song. Anyway, and some of you are going, "Who's Hall and Oates? And why am I listening to this podcast? And why did my friend recommend this? What an asshole!" Green tea. We had the walnuts. We had the dark chocolate. We're feeling flavonoid and flavonoid delicious. Um, that's going to be actually the name of my dance, uh, my R and B dance album that I come out with when I quit comedy. Flavonoid delicious. Um, so, wow, the, that wasn't even funny. I apologize. But when my, yeah, when my uncle passed away, I had, I think my brother had seen him before me and then I went to see him. And then the next day we were going to take him off life support, uh, under the guidance of the doctors who basically said, it's just, it's, he's unsavable. Um, and then he started to expire before my mom and my uncle's uh, girlfriend could take him off life support. And then they did take him off, but he was already starting to fail. And I know that's coincidence, and these were both people at the end of their lives, but it, it, it did feel, it felt like something. Just like, oh, wow, somewhere in there, perhaps they were aware of, like, everybody had now come to see them go. Like, my dad didn't die the day before before my brother saw it was and my uncle sort of the same thing and maybe that's just comfort for me but it, but but I that's sort of how I felt it felt like oh wow we all checked in and then they like very quickly checked out after that even though we didn't have a conscious exchange but um so now whenever the phone rings in the morning before like 10 a.m I'm just like oh no someone died oh no it's just the energy company calling to see if we want to switch our source of power okay Phew. 
For a second, I thought someone had died. And that's just, that's how I now react to an early morning phone call. It's, it's, a, it's a sort of fun morning ritual I have. I wake up, pour myself a cup of black coffee. I like my coffee like I like my father's, black. Um, and, <laughs> and that gets me revved up. That gives me a good like hour head start before The Righteous Girlfriend gets up. And by then I'm ready to complain about comedy. And uh, then the phone will ring at like 8.45 and I'm like, oh God, who is, and it's just like, oh no, there's a, there's a water main break in town. Oh good, for a second I thought another relative of mine had died. Phew, dodged a good one. Well now that I'm in a great mood about death and comedy sucking, let me head off to work and spread this cheer around the office. So that's my morning ritual and RIP Padre. Um... But yeah, 85, it, it, you realize like I have friends who are like way older. I have people I know who are way older than me who are like, my father died at 83 today. I'm like, but you're like 60. And then I realized, oh yeah, my dad, I was 47 when my, when I was, when, when I, he, he was 47 about to turn 48 when I, uh, when I was born. So that's what you get when you get, but he, but he was, he got 85 years, which is, uh, you know, that's pretty fucking good. Um, so I still got kind of a full, a fullish life uh, with him around. So that's that's good. Um, anyway, death, guys. Uh, I just wanted to start with something cheery before I start to talk about comedy. Because today, like many days, comedy gave me just a little reason to be angry. Um, and it's it's unfortunate because I wake up just hoping comedy doesn't happen. You know, like... The way somebody might wake up in Ukraine and just go, I hope no buildings in our town get bombed today or none of our women folk get raped by Russian monsters. Just let that be today. That's sort of my mindset with comedy. I'm just like, please don't let comedy do anything because it's not going to do anything good. So just let comedy do nothing today. Can comedy take a day off? Even God rested. Can, can, his, can his fallen angel, Satan, also known as the stand-up comedy business, can it take a day off? And the answer is no. Because I got an email, a uh, text today from uh, Chris Lambert, friend of the show, friend in real life. And uh, I was like, oh, what's this? Like, I just, I, you know, kind of saw that it was a picture. And, and a lot of time Chris will just share me, like, articles or funny things that he thinks I'll uh, laugh at or, or, or gripe about. And it was a picture of my show at the DC Improv. And as I've discussed, it took me five emails. Um, once again, just a little brief background. DC Improv, uh, anybody who's known me for a long time, uh, DC Improv and Philadelphia Helium have been my two favorite clubs for, you know, well over a decade. Um, great audiences, great, usually, almost usually uh, smart, but comedy savvy audiences, great clubs, good staff, always at those places. So, and I can get there by train. Uh, so, so I've always loved those two clubs. And those are the two clubs I've worked the most at. I've probably worked Helium like 10 times. I've probably worked between MC featuring and headlining the DC Improv like 12 times but you build a relationship dc improv is the first club i ever worked I, I won a contest in law school and then um went back down to dc after taking the bar exam in new york and hosted for gary owen my first paid club work august 2004 same week collateral opened up with tom cruise great movie anyway i so i have a long relationship with these clubs and, of course, Helium, I don't know if I'll ever work a Helium club again in my life, um, which is not my fault, but they are at the helm of my special, which Patreon plug, I know none of you care about the Patreon, but 
another really funny bonus episode and a great book review show episode. Um, I'll just leave that at that because I'm, I'm, you know, very frustrated with just sort of the fan base I've accumulated. And it has nothing to do with individually, just in the aggregate. I don't know why I gathered like 150,000 people under social media for my comedy who don't come to shows, buy albums, or join Patreon, or like want to see, like it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a mystery more than a frustration. I'm just like, I see other fucking clowns. And I think it, I think it partly has to operate with, you, you, uh, if you operate in the middle, you thrive, you know, if you, if you have a 103 IQ and your audience has an average IQ of 92 and you read memes and headlines, but not really articles and, and, and you don't, you just kind of want, you want a Big Mac stuffed down your throat, you know, like when your friend says this steakhouse is incredible and you go, oh, well, my favorite restaurant's uh, uh, McDonald's and there's a place for McDonald's, but I feel like my fan base consists of people who are like, um, I'm homeless and had to borrow a phone just to watch your Twitter video, or I'm a Fortune 500 CEO and I would never caught, be caught dead in a comedy club or supporting a Patreon. Is that a new tequila? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Gross. Um, so that seems to be where my fan base is. So like you want to be in the middle. My, God, my, 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 my advice for any comedians who listen to this is be in the middle. Make your humor simple, approachable, and even, in fact, verging on hacky. Um, do lots of crowd work. Talk in a black scent if you're a white person. Um, if you're a black person, try to perform for white crowds and comment constantly on how you're the only black guy in the room. Um, you just things like that. There's helpful tips you can do that will make you a worse comedian, but wildly successful. And you'll see the Patreon subscriptions just skyrocket. I'm the opposite. I'm like mad when I put a Patreon thing and somebody who paid for it doesn't watch it. You know, I'm the guy who when you ask for ketchup in my restaurant, I come out with a knife and threaten you. I say, your money's no good here. Don't you ever show up here again? And people are like, that's not the way to run a business. And I go, but it is the way that I want to run my restaurant. I'd rather go broke than be a fucking serving ketchup with steak, you fucking animals. But I digress. I said I wasn't going to go down that path. I just don't get how I accumulated such a large fan base of non-comedy fans. It's a very, I feel like that was the way they give you money back. Like if you get zero, like I think in Mega Millions, if you get zero numbers, they like give you $2 back. It's like, that's pretty hard to get zero numbers or it might be Powerball, I forget. There was one lottery game where it's like if you got zero numbers, they're like, oh, we gave you two bucks back to try again because it's actually kind of difficult to fail that bad. I feel like that's what I've done with my families. It's like it's very hard to find 150,000 people who like comedy videos on social media but don't want anything to do with your comedy career. I just think that's 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 its own sort of unique skill that I've developed. But the point is, we go back to Chris's text to me this morning. Now, DC Improv, long-standing relationship. I headlined there in the lounge in December of 2020. I thought the shows went very well. We sold out three of five, two, uh, three of six. Two of six had good ticket numbers. Not quite sold out, but good. Like the Sunday night. And then the Sunday night show was actually the one that was a little tough because we did sell a lot of tickets, but then like there were several no-shows because Omicron was speaking. And then the Friday late show was like, 12 people. That was the only like disaster. But now they only do five shows on the lounge per weekend. So if you actually take my audience of five, show, six shows and turn it into five, 
I would have sold out four or five shows and then had like a decent showing for the fifth. So not bad. I don't think. I think that's that's respectable. And when you factor in that I have a relationship, a long relationship with the club, I thought, okay, they'll have me back. Well, they told me uh, or late last year, like, oh, they weren't doing like shows like that in the lounge because like hotels were more expensive. And I was like, oh, okay, let's do it. And then I just noticed the calendar filling up with exactly the shows that I was looking to do with like comics doing weekends. So I was like, okay, so it's just me. I, like, I, they could have just honestly, they could have just said to me, hey. It's okay. Like, no, we don't have anything. How many times? I mean, if you're a comedian and you're not used to hearing, oh, we have nothing for you. Like, I've heard that probably a thousand times. No exaggeration in my career. Actually, I'm counting non-reply emails. So let's say, let's say 200 times. So it's perfectly just, it's a perfectly respectable blow off to just go, oh, we don't have anything for you at this time. Because then I'll just see people filling up. Like, okay, they're, they, they're booking other people. That's okay. I'll just wait my turn. Maybe I'll get a cancellation, something. You get used to these sort of things, but every time you sort of get used to a thing in comedy, instead of your immune system kind of getting used to it, there, there's a new sort of little disrespect that you're like, ah, I wasn't prepared for that. I thought I was prepared to just accept how it is. Well, I asked, like, can I book my own? What if I book my own hotel? Is that could that could that get me in? And they're like, well, so, you know, we were holding those weekends for William Morris Endeavor. And I was like, oh, that's something I never knew happened. But OK, understood the, the lesser clients of agencies want to get their 10% of, of, of 1800 bucks or 1500 bucks and keep their clients working, keep their clients relevant, like their lower tier clients. Great. As I've always said, if you have an agent and a manager and you're in competition with me for gigs, your agent and manager should either be fired or they should quit you as, as a, they should leave you as a client. Um, cause you shouldn't be competing with one of the most jinxed artists in the history of comedy. For, for like, it shouldn't be, if it's between me and you and you have a fucking team behind you, you are already losing. <laughs> um, but I'd get no points for that. Um, so when I noticed that, I was like, okay. They were like, no, no, we were holding that. Okay, I was like, okay. But then I said, hey, I'm recording a special. Is there anything you can do? And they said, well, we can fit you in on a Sunday. You know, if you just want to run your, run your new hour. And I was like, I will absolutely take it. And then... Uh, my buddy Chris said, oh, uh, can I open for you in D.C.? He's from he's from uh, the DMV area. So I said, yeah, yeah, sure. So I emailed him. I said, I, I, n I never ask places to, you know, and, and for the most part, because of my extensive life as a feature act, I like to, if I book a club, I generally like to keep my feature spot open, not out of any, like, disrespect to, to friends or whatever, but I, I do that because it's like, hey, you know what, if I can, I ain't shit, this is like a moment of humility, but I'm like, who the fuck am I? You know, I got fans. I'm very good at comedy, but who the fuck am I? I'm not, I'm not selling out fucking rooms six nights. I'm not selling out rooms one night. And so I like to keep the feature spot open because I say if there's a local guy or a traveling dude who, who could be me. You know, I, this is my Barack Obama. If, uh, if I had a feature act uh, opening for me, he could look like me. That's right. I'm comparing uh, feature work to the murder of Trayvon Martin, folks. Uh, but, um, so I usually keep it open when I do a club cause it's just like, yeah, book some, like get, get somebody, everybody's bringing their person. Everybody, every, every fucking lonely jerk off is like, hey, I don't want the local guy. Well, who are you? You're a fu you're fucking garbage. Half of you. So what do you, what do you need to bring your guy? Are you afraid to be alone? And I know that's, I'm, I'm making it sound, I'm, I'm sounding very mean, but to me it's like. Yeah, be like let let the system, let the ecosystem work. Let let leave some of those spots every time. 
and I'm not saying in my case, but I've seen so many features get brought where I'm like, oh, you kind of suck at, you're not very good. You're, you're, you've jumped, you, this is like nepotism. You've jumped the comedy evolution chain because so-and-so or so-and-so or so-and-so brought you along because they either liked you personally or liked your vibe or, or now the new thing is like anybody out there have a, ever told a joke but have a really good camera for making TikTok content? That'll get you booked now. If you can do TikToks for a headliner, you can get booked just as easily as if you're fucking good at comedy. Once again, I don't think this is the way for the art to thrive, but, you know, it's a business. It's art has nothing to do with it. And, whoa, what's art got to do, got to do with it? You need a camera to film fucking TikToks. Okay, that was a little 80 saxophone for you. Uh, <laughs> I'm much better with the air trumpet, as you'll see on my special Half Blackface, coming soon, 2072. And um, so basically, there's a very long story, but it's illustrative of, what I, of, of what's gone on in the business. Because, you know, once I lose Philadelphia Helium and DC Improv, I'm, I'm done. And I don't mean that in any way other than literally. If I can't work the two clubs that I have the longest relationships with, that I've done the best at, it's a, it really is over and it ain't even up to me. Um, and Philly, Philly is over, I think, because Helium, you know, when you fuck up my special twice, I guess I become a difficult person to work with. Um, God, the special. Can it please just come out? Like, it's just like, like, and I'm speaking only metaphorically in terms of the special. It's like, kill me. Kill, like, like suffoc, like just, just put a pillow over the special's face and let it expire. Like, why are you doing this? It'll be, uh, like, uh, my Patreon plug, by the way, is uh, March 7th? March 7th. Tuesday, March 7th. I'll be doing the, the monthly live hangout uh, on March 7th to commemorate 500 days since we recorded the first set. And, and on March, I want to say 11th, March 11th or March 10th, it'll be 300 days since the second taping, which if you ignore the 500 days, 300 days is an unconscionable disaster. It only looks better because there's also a 500 day debacle. Um, I said over a year ago, that this special was going to be the best thing I ever did. And if it went well, I could use it as a test for should I continue doing comedy? Because if my best work doesn't get picked up, doesn't buy, doesn't get sold, people don't care about it, then, then maybe I just have to go, okay, I don't do art for a va Like, I don't do art and comedy to, to scream into a void and hope aliens hear it millions of miles away. I do it because I want to be a professional comedian. I want to, I want to not have a day job and I want to get, I want to give the best, do the best thing I can with the best talent I have, which is, which is, which is humor. And this, this, this was going to be a litmus test. I was going to decide, okay, once, once the special comes out and I reach all my making podcast great again fans, I will have full autonomy to just say, okay, now do I want to continue doing making podcast great again? Do I want to continue doing righteous prick? Do I want to continue doing stand up comedy? But I need, I wanted my best work to be out there so I could say, well, this is, I'm, I, this is my best shot. And if my best shot fails, 
then maybe that's then I maybe I need to walk away. And if it fails miserably, then then maybe that will actually kind of help me walk away sooner because I'll realize, well, I did the best I could, but obviously bad luck, my face, who I am, what I don't know, but it doesn't work. And and you leave with sort of, you know, under your own volition and you just say, yeah, it didn't work. It didn't work. And I don't need to keep putting my energy and my emotion into something that's not working. It doesn't matter how much I want it to work. Facts are facts. Uh, they, they don't, it, it isn't working in, in the way I need it to to have a career. I can be certainly fucking stressed and exhausted for the rest of my life, like doing comedy and making like 70% of the money I need to live from comedy. But that's, you know, you don't do a fucking 25-year internship at a job. Like if they don't hire you at some point, you go, okay, well, I'm going to take the things I've learned and my skills and just go elsewhere with it because this is obviously not the place for me. So all that blah, blah, blah. But I never bring somebody. This is, uh, I never really bring people. I mean, if I'm doing a theater or a city winery where it's like you are supplying the talent, then yeah, of course, I bring, I bring somebody. But, um, and I try to, you know, I try to do that with respect to like who, you know, if I got to bring somebody, who do I think is funny and who would li I like to hook up with a gig? You know, like in Boston, I'm bringing Joe Pontillo, a longtime New York comic who, um, he's, he's hooked me up with a lot of spots and he's, he's the few times I've gone on the road with him, it's been pleasant. So I thought, yeah, I, I got, I, I, you know, I gotta, I gotta hook him up with something. I never hook him up with anything and he hooks me up with gigs sometimes. Um, Chris obviously is doing DC and he's going to be opening for me. Um, he didn't, I had Pete Dominic, which I was very happy to have him open for me, um, for both tapings of Half Blackface, but Chris was in a Broadway play. Because Chris had opened for me the last couple of times I recorded albums. But he was in a Broadway play. So I was very happy uh, to have Pete uh, join me. Because Pete's been super helpful and, and kind to me throughout my career. And he's a funny guy and he's a really good host. So like, um, And then my old friend Mick DeFlo is opening for me in Philadelphia. He's a Philadelphia guy. He's somebody maybe you've heard me speak of. Uh, I wrote a blog about him a long time ago. Um, just a super funny, dark comedian. Um, and, uh, and, you know, so I just thought, yeah, like, why, why wouldn't, like, but if I'm doing a club, like a weekend at a club, I, I usually won't ask because I'm just like, I know how it feels when I try to get a club to book me and they're like, oh, everybody's bringing their guy. And I, I, I always resented that and hated it. Not when like a superstar does it, but when just somebody like me is like, oh, he's bringing his own feature. I'm like, you know, that's like the MC who orders like the steak for dinner five nights in a row at a club, like the most expensive thing on the menu. It's like, do you have any class? Do you know that like, hey, you're the fucking MC. Maybe once in a while I'll get the chicken fingers if you want to save up for one. But, but you know, that's just me. And, and, and these kind, you know, I don't put my feet up on, sub, on, on train seats. I do basic sort of general manners and like things that like just don't feel in vogue anymore. But the point is, Chris sends me a text, very long long way of getting to this. Chris sends me a text. Oh, what's this? And it's a post. It's the picture from our show in DC. And like I said, I emailed the club five times on the fifth time. I finally got them to change my bio. I think I haven't even checked and to confirm that Chris could be the host and feature and that he like, in other words, it'd just be a two person show. Cause you know, then he can get the MC and the feature money. Not that I'm trying to cut anybody out, but if he's gonna if he's gonna do the gig, then I'll I'll do right. I'll try to do as right by him as as I'm capable of in my meager station. 
and the poster has two other comics. One of them who's a Facebook friend. I've done a show with him before. Funny guy. I don't know the other one, but the the, the guys. But I'm but I'm like but now I gotta work. Like now I gotta be annoyed with this little thing. Like once again, one of these things that you're like, oh, I didn't. I, I thought when I got a club email from the club that Chris was cool and that we were set for the show, that my work was done. Now I just had to worry about selling tickets and doing a good show. But no, now and and then it becomes my sixth email to the club, a club that's already made it kind of clear that maybe they're not going to book me much more um, if I if I can only squeeze in like a one off on a Sunday, which I'm grateful for. But like it just maybe my days are numbered once again. If half blackface doesn't pull off a comedy miracle, I think I think it is it, um, which is which is just so disappointing. And I'll I'll hold out hope, but obviously, the people putting half blackface together have have done everything within their power to make sure it doesn't succeed. Um, so you're just like. So now I got now I'm sending my sixth email to the DC Improv a club. By the way, to reiterate, I've been working on and off since 2004, August 2004. And it's where I opened for Patrice O'Neill and where I got on um, his two albums, introing him. So it's there's been a, I've, I worked with Sebastian Maniscalco there. Like I've, I've like it's it's a club that means a lot to me. It's been it, there's been so many great experiences there, uh, milestones for me. And now, when I when you send a sixth email, it doesn't it almost doesn't matter who's at fault. I've been at fault zero times in this case, but now I'm the annoy. I'm going to be the annoying guy. But I didn't do it. You know what I mean? It's one of those things where you go, but I didn't do anything wrong. I you told me I could have an opener. I never ask for an like I never ask for anything. I don't eat fucking food at the club. I'm the most fucking low maintenance motherfucker that shows up to a comedy club. But it doesn't matter. They, it's, it's when, when, you, when you think it's about personal relationships, well, you know, this is a business. And when you're professional in business, like you get told, you know, but it's, it's about relationships. It's always like a flip. It's always, it's always a, 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 a there's always a fl another side of the coin that they can play. But it was just one of those things. And Chris was like, ah, it seems like it's like a hassle. Like, don't worry about it. And I was like, no, 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 <laughs> I'm not worried about it. But no, I, I can't let this go. Like. And now what I feel bad about is like there's two comics who've been put on a show. Probably, you know, it's a, it's a payday. It's a good set at a good club in front of a comic who will probably bring a, a good audience for the one show. And then they got to call them and be like, oh, he's bring he, he's and I become a he's bringing his own guy. Whereas like you should have just never booked anybody else. Like he's bringing I don't want to be the guy who's like he's bring and then people are like, oh, I got fucking dumped from the show because and it's like. But I didn't want that. That's why I've been emailing for fucking two months. Because I don't want some... I know how that feels. I don't want somebody to get booked. And then it's me that's like, oh, he's great. So you, you just lost work because JL brings his own guy. Yeah, but I... You know, it's just... I'm, I'm, I might be overthinking it, but it's just one of those things where you go, but why the... F like, why did even this... This little thing have to get fucked up like why is everything always getting fucked up when it comes to me and comedy and it's just it's it's super frustrating and this was just like this is how i woke up with my coffee and a fucking like huh but i said why are they not doing like this was the simplest fucking thing so 
tea break. It's just, it's, it's, once again, this is a small thing, but it's the 190th small thing this year, small and big thing. And it just seems like there's never a good twist. There's never a, you know, like, I'd love to find out this week. By the way, it's been 16 days and counting since I was told they're about to have the audio done on the special and then they just have to do one other simple thing. So once again, we're over half a month gone from the last time I was told we're right there. Nobody cares on the, I'm the only one motherfucker. I'm the only one who cares on this thing. Um and it's it's really it's really disheartening to work with people who 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 don't care about the project but don't don't respect you either. And I violated my own advice on this one project and I've been taught a very valuable, painful lesson, which is don't work with anybody in this business. At least I can keep my own money. Like the fact that I'm, I'm going to split revenue on this project after they have destroyed all chances of it making serious revenue, like is, is so it's, it's, and I'm not, I'm going to, because I just finished the warmth of other sons. This shit is like comedy sharecropping. And I think that was an old title of an episode about feature work. But this shit is like they've destroyed it and they get half the profits if I even make any money off of it. That's stunning. Um, and it's still not out yet. <laughs> and at this point, it's, it's my comedy. It's, it's, it's reparations at this point, the fucking special. Because you, it, it's laughable. I can't. They would never think to give up money on this to make amends because it's so absurd that to contemplate it, they'd have to say, yeah, you know what? You're right. We shouldn't make a dime off of this. We've damaged this so much. We shouldn't make a cent. But that's not what's going to happen. Um, it's like, what are you kidding me? We've done all this work. Yeah, you're late. Like, it's, you know, it's a, it's a long time. Like, you, you know, as far as the production, I'm just talking of the production company. I mean, you, you literally fucked it up twice and it's been 15 months and you're still going to take money from this? Wow. Okay. Couldn't be me, as the kids say. Um, but the point is, there's just, it's just, it's, there's, it's just, there's always like some indignity waiting and I don't under, I these things, I, I have to say, I don't, I'm no longer capable of contemplating worst case scenarios in comedy because it's like, all right, well, let's hope I sell tickets. What's that? They fucked up the one thing I asked them to do that they said they'd do. Oh, okay. Huh. All right. Well, um, let me just be annoying, even though, you know, I'm not being annoying. I'm just saying, oh, remember when you said this? But people forget when they fucked up, it becomes a thing of like, oh, you, God, he's the guy who keeps annoying me with emails. Oh, okay. That's right. So that's where we are with that. Um, I'd love to, I, I, I mean, this is this literally the second tour I've done, if you want to call it a tour, you know, five or more gigs. <laughs> this will be the second tour I've done in, in 13, in 14 months since I recorded the special once. But if the special isn't out by like mid-March, which I have no reason to believe it will be, like even if I get a publicist who can promote Half Blackface properly and, and, and gin up interest or enthusiasm, I'll have nothing to promote. 
Like, I'll be going on shows, and they'll be going, ah, oh, watch that fight. It's hilarious stuff, man. Hey, where can the people see you? Uh, nowhere. I'm, I'm out of gigs. Nobody will book me because I've, I've, the biggest opportunities I've had have been squandered by the faulty production of this special. So, like, you can catch me at my day job. Like, I'll tell you jokes in the cafeteria at lunch if you want. Um, I have a Patreon, which maybe if any stand-up fans discover this, maybe they'll join. And outside of that... Um, there's nothing. There's nothing to support. There's nothing to to go see me do because I have no agent. And my greatest opportunity to to elevate my career was was destroyed by powerful people and entities within the comedy industry through their apathy and ineptitude. So um, follow me on Instagram. <laughs> That's ba you know what I mean? So it's so that text today, it's nothing, nothing wrong with Chris. He's like, you know, he's just asked, he's basically saying like, uh, I thought, uh, you know, did they do something wrong? It's, it's, you just, every, every day I wake up and it's, there's never good. It's not like today. I'm not going to get a message saying half black face is ready. We're ready to pitch it to HBO and Showtime and, uh, stars and Netflix and Amazon no, I'm not getting that notice today. I might not get it this week. I might not get it this month because they don't fucking care. They took, they took my work and I was, I guess at this point, foolish enough to trust that people had ethics and pride and, and in this business. But I, it's, you know, as Don Corleone said, what did he say? Look at the massacre they made of my boy. That's what I feel about. Like, I feel like I'm looking... I'm looking in a coffin and Santino Corleone half blackface is sitting in the coffin and I'm Don Corleone with cotton in my cheeks and tears streaming down my face. Look at the mask they made. Look at the mask they made. I'm half blackface. Very sad. You know, but as Allure said in the 90s, I'm all cried out, guys. <laughs> um... I have a bunch of shows coming up. <sighs> Ticket sales, I think for all of them are pretty bad. If we're just being frank, why why wouldn't I be honest at this point? Like um, Boston, if you're a Boston fan, get tickets on their Friday coming up. I'm in Montclair, New Jersey. Uh, I'm in Brooklyn Wednesday for just a little little bar show. Then I'm in Montclair, New Jersey, co-headlining a, a, a Just Jake's on Thursday. City Winery in Boston with Joe Pontillo on, on Friday. And then DC Improv, March 19th. Philadelphia City Winery, March 24th. Catch a Rising Star, Princeton, New Jersey, March 25th. And then um, my eighth and final hour, uh, March 31st and April 1st at the Triad in uh, New York City. Um, I've sold nine tickets out of a possible 230 with a month to go. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if people come out for that. Maybe I would. Maybe I was just a novelty, and people came out for for half blackface, and they were they were impressed and enjoyed it. But maybe it was just like, hey, we'll go to see him once, and that's cool. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen with this 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 last hour. Um, I don't want to do one show for pretty obvious reasons even though I trust Dana, who's recording it, a lot more than I trust people I've worked with in the past, meaning Half Blackface. Um, 
but uh, yeah, it's uh, who knows what's gonna happen with that. And then after that, there's no gigs. Um, I'm going to shows. <laughs> I'm going to see other people perform, which is often fun, and I have a heightened respect now for people who can sell tickets and have fans that that like comedy when they're comedians but um yeah so if you're in any of those cities the show's gonna be good i'm really happy with the new hour that's coming coming together um so that's that i guess but yeah it's um i just want this last hour is important to me because um on a comedy level, I could have been very happy with half blackface as my final statement as a comedian. In fact, I it it may even be a better sta final statement than the 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 new hour. Though the new hour is getting a lot of laughs, um, and there's some some really great stuff. Um, half blackface was really just really really good, and you know that might have been the one to walk off on. But I I can't allow that. I can't allow the final thing I do to be so mishandled, so disrespected, um, and to be shared, to be, to be shared economically with, with the same, the, you know, um, it's like, I'm okay. I was going to make a really inappropriate analogy that even I agree would be too far, but maybe it's just cause I was listening to various podcasts like the New Yorker that were discussing this, but it's like, um, <laughs> I'm not going to make the analogy, but it involves, um, having a child with somebody that assaulted you. I think, did I make that sanitized enough? You know what I'm saying. But I didn't. I didn't. The point is I didn't make that analogy. I caught myself. I simply let you be aware of what I caught myself doing, and I didn't do it. But in doing so, I did it. <laughs> um, but I can't let that be the last statement of my comedy career. Be uh, from a career perspective. From an art perspective, it may end up being the best thing I've ever done and ever will do. But I said that about keep my enemies closer. I said that about thoughts and prayers. So the good thing is I keep kind of making some good stuff that I can be proud of. But from a business perspective, I can't I can't allow half blackface to be the last thing I do as a comedian. Like the last record of me as a comedian being something that was so so mishandled and disrespected. Um, so yeah, those are the shows. Hopefully you can you can make one if you're still listening to this. Uh, Tickets still available for all of them. So, um, you know, get tickets, I guess. Maybe. Um, if you can't, maybe give this show five stars on Apple Podcasts. That's a cheap thing. Um, several new videos. I put out a few new videos this week. A Don Jr. one that got written up in the Daily Beast, which was cool. Once again, no publicist, no problem. I can get written up. I just can't get anybody with, with a checkbook to get interested anymore or connections, uh, and uh, an Elon Musk video also went up. So those are both on uh, my YouTube channel, on Twitter, and on my Facebook page. Um, I think if I have any content to review. Um, I guess I'm just, I'm just sad, to be honest, guys. Half blackface. I've just kind of accepted that it's it was a once, it was, a, it felt, it felt like a once in a career opportunity, and I it failed not artistically but my strategic decisions to work with other people uh failed me and i i thought that was the humble thing to do i thought well i'll give up some of the money because i have to admit that i don't have the connections and the clout that i think i do 
so working with somebody will be the right move and it, and it, and it isn't and it wasn't and it's it feels it feels humiliating if i'm being honest it feels like a humiliation and i know you guys get it not my fault you know i'm funny i assume if you're listening to this but it but it, i can't shake the feeling that it just feels so humiliating no special and why like it's the uniqueness of it that feels so humiliating whose special takes 300 or 500 days from shoot to release and we're not it's going to be more than 500 that's the thing we're just approaching the 500 day mark it ain't coming out in 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 eight days it's not going to be released in eight days so it's just fucking stunning it's just like it's kind of like i'm a joke um which is which you don't want to be in comedy you want to be funny but you don't want to be a joke uh but I'm trying to think, did I see anything recently? Party Down is back, and the uh, I called exactly what the plot would be, actually, of the first episode without knowing it, um, which impressed the righteous GF. But Party Down is so good. Like, God. And, and, the new, it's, and the cast is so good, and it's so funny. It's got heart, but it's funny. It doesn't just have heart and make you go, huh. Like your la it's so good. The show is so damn good. So I'm I'm happy it's back. I um I don't I don't know what else I've watched. Uh The Last of Us. I'm I'm, I'm of course enjoying uh, a lot. Um but I guess I've been more focused on reading. Sorry that I'm just a brainiac like that. But um I'm not afraid of touting his own intelligence. That I'm sorry Ron Re- Ron Reagan take the week off. That wasn't worthy of your your input. Besides, Ron Reagan Jr. in April will be reviewing, um, we'll be doing guest book reviews on the Patreon. So look out for that, people who already subscribe to the Patreon and no one else. Uh, by the way, the funny ass, the funny, ep- the super funny episode was the Patreon this past week, and I don't, I don't do that on purpose. You know me. Some episodes are fucking hysterical here, and then others are like, "Is JL okay?" Um, but. I don't know why. Maybe the 500 days just has me kind of like as much as I'm making a joke out of it. I I think I'm just really. I don't think anybody will really understand. Outside of maybe the righteous GF who has really seen just daily frustration and despair. How devastating this is. I, I let the fucking. What's the phrase? The wolf into the hen house or some shit. The fox, the wolf, Yeah, the wolf would definitely fuck up some hens. I let the fox into the hen house. Comedy industry is the fox. And I, I let them in. And I, I can't, I can't undo that. And my God, it was what a, like, God. And I'll say it again. It cannot be made right. This thing could and it won't, let's be clear, this thing could sell to Netflix and be featured on their homepage and fucking change my life like 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 Nanette changed Hannah Gadsby's life. And I would tell you honestly, it wasn't worth it. And that's so devastating, but it, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth being upset and miserable and sad over work that you're proud of and made you happy and made other people laugh it wasn't worth it 
it wasn't, and, and we all know it ain't going to turn out that way. So would I, of course, accept the benefits of, of a Netflix special? And would I block every single motherfucker who texts me who has, just like when the Trump video went up, I'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, you, know, you want to work on something? Fuck off. People, people would, you guys would know. But there'd be a lot of people, I think, saying, wow, JL really became a dick when his special sold to Netflix. And I'd be like, no, no, I just remember. That's all. I remember all the, all the people who just showed some interest and they, only, they were only interested in whether it's asking me to do podcasts or whatever the fuck it was. They, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't give a fuck about the videos. They didn't give a fuck. Some people did, but most, a lot of people did. But most, most of those people who all of a sudden you, you hear from and like, we should do this together. We should, and you kind of just go, oh, yeah, no, that'd be cool. And then you realize, oh, no, you don't. You, you, you couldn't give a fuck. You're, you're disingenuous like everybody in comedy. It's, it's ugly actors. That's what comedy is, ugly actors. Every stereotype cliche about Hollywood being fake and self-serving and manipulative, all of it is in comedy. It's just with ugly people. So that's a pleasant note to end on. Um, I guess I just didn't watch a lot of stuff. I don't care for Ant-Man. You can hear on the Patreon why I'm not seeing Cocaine Bear. Um, anything else? No, but I just want, uh, I want my shoulder to be okay. I want my albums back online. And I just want Half Back Face to be out so I can just put it behind me. Um, and I, you know, I preach a lot of Christ Christian forgiveness on this show when it comes to crimes and people doing you wrong and things like that. And I try to, I try to keep that, take that to heart. And I try to, I try to, try to live that as, as best I can. And I'm not always very good at it, but professionally, if it's possible to separate personal from professional, professionally, there will be no, there will be no forgiveness for the half blackface experience. None. It will never, I, I will have to have the worst case of fucking Alzheimer's to forget this. And maybe I will. Who knows? My luck seems to be that I will. <laughs> um, but yeah, there will be no, this will never be forgotten. This will never be forgiven as, as long as I'm capable. But I, I, if, if it's possible to compartmentalize it into a professional space only. Um, because this has been, you know. An ex-fiance many years ago told me I should I should only do comedy as a hobby, and she said that to me, like two weeks after I'd booked the Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson. She took that time. That was a you know a Mount Rushmore highlight for me as far as a stand-up comedy career. She chose that time because her father was was obsessed with me making money and not being a comedian if she was going to take me seriously, which I don't think she ever really did, but she was just in a fucking phase where I guess she thought she was fucking Christy Brinkley and Uptown Girl and she was fucking with the dude at the gas station. Now, of course, the dude at the gas station happened to be a fucking Georgetown-educated lawyer who's about to be on late-night television, but when you don't come from family money, some people look at you like you're fucking dirt, broke, pond scum, regardless of what you're doing with your life. I would argue that the person who came from humbler beginnings and is moving on his way up is more impressive than the legacy wealthy person, but that's just me. Anyway... That was that was probably the most disrespectful thing I'd endured in my comedy career, having the person that supposedly loved you take the best.
best moment of your comedy career and certainly the, probably the best moment of my comedy career for at least the first decade of my comedy career and turn it into like a, you shouldn't do this. And I was like, wow, well, if you, it was like the opposite of the, if you can't take me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. It was like, if you treat me like shit at my best, then God help us when I see your worst. And boy, did I, but the point being, if that's, that was for a long time, something that really just stuck with me as far as just like, wow, I had to share a beautiful, great life highlight. I was on late night television doing stand-up comedy and I did really well. And I shared that moment with somebody who, who had no respect for it and, and, and didn't really, didn't really care and, and, and went beyond that and disrespected it. And in many ways, this, this is, this is the thing that has now surpassed that moment as like, why did, why did this happen? Like, why do these people not care about this thing that means so much to me? And that is good. I know they don't have to care about it personally, like emotionally the way I do, but it's very good work on a, from a business perspective. This is an excellent special. So why wouldn't you respect it professionally? But you disrespected it so deeply, so consistently for so long that now it's caused me like emotional damage. And it's, it's, you know, I hope everybody has a nice life. I hope everybody gets into heaven, et cetera, et cetera. Find forgiveness, find peace, reform yourself. If you're a bad person, forgive those who've wronged you for your own sake. And cause it's, it's a good thing to do. But if there's a way to separate personal forgiveness from professional forgiveness, mm, I've worked very hard personally to forgive people who've wronged me in the past. And I'm not always successful at it, but, you know, and I'm not, I bring up that old story, not as an example of like, it still wounds me today, but it was a deep, in, in conjunction with other things that went on in that relationship, it was a very deep wound because it was like, I can't go back and have one of the greatest experiences of my life and share it with somebody more worthy or who would be kinder or, or enjoy that more. And maybe that was the start of the JL jinx, you know, like, like there had to be, instead of a silver lining to a cloud, it's more like, it's, it's, it's like the reverse. It's like, oh, this, this, this silver has a cloudy lining. <laughs> maybe that's a fucking title, but you know what I mean? Like, it, it's like this, this first big, great experience I couldn't fully enjoy. I couldn't just go, oh, man, that was great. No, it, it has to be paired with like a, oh, yeah, and remember when, you know, that was used against you for some reason. Like like the, like me having success at comedy would mean I would continue to do it. And that was worse than me failing at comedy. That's not the kind of thing you want to hear from from a close relationship, you know? And, and that's way in the past and I've had many successes and obviously many failures, but that's, that's, that's in the past, but I only use that as a point of comparison to express how, how this experience feels now, which is just like, I let people, I've, I, I went against my usual thought process of don't trust the business, which was the right thing to think. 
And I let them in and, and they took they took my best work. They took my best work when I had the most clout and the most fans and had finally achieved some tenuous level of success and heightened my station in the comedy business, not to where, where I needed it to be or wanted it to be, but above where I was. I, I, I still had some momentum and I delivered the best thing I've ever done. And it's been ruined. And I don't think, I don't think it can be salvaged. I think it's gonna come out you know, I need a new fan base. Like I need a new, and the only way to get a new fan base is to get a lot of eyeballs and attention on this special so that instead of attracting bored people who like shitting on Trump, I can attract thousands of stand-up comedy fans who go, wow, this guy's really good. I never heard, you know, even, and I don't mind, hey, if you say you never heard of me, but you like this, great. Then I don't have to undo anything. I don't have to be the Trump guy where you go, oh, Trump guy's pretty good at comedy too. No, you can just be like, this guy's really funny. This was like a strong-ass special. I'm a fan. And then maybe they discover later I was the guy who did the Louis video or the, the Trump stuff or or just that they discover some of my more, more of my albums when they get back up online. But I need a new fan base. And the only way to do that, and this is the thing, guys, and then if you're even still listening, um, I knew that. I knew that as soon as the shadow ban hit in 2021 that I had to make a move. And this was all part of a strategy. I usually operated willy-nilly as a comedian, but I had I said, this is my last, last best hope, I think. It's time to put together a strategy. And what a miracle. I get billions. And you've heard this one before, but I get billions. I have this set of my life, and I say, we, yes, let's do this. I did it. I did all the things I could do to pull off like a straight flush or a royal flush, whatever the best fucking hand in cards is. And then the dealer um, was about to hand me the card that was going to make me a well-known comedian or give this the platform it deserved. And instead of handing me the card, he wiped his ass with it, took my other cards, lit them on fire, and just handed me the fecal-smeared card. And that's what, what happened to Half Blackface. Um, so... I have no idea when it's coming out. Um, I hope soon, but I don't think it matters. Other than like, hey, if you're a fan, I want you to enjoy it. But that's all I can really hope for or ask at this point, is that some of the people who are fans actually buy it or rent it or stream it or whatever the fuck way of watching it. I know you will. You don't have to tweet at me and go, oh, I'm, I'm going to see it. I'm gonna, I, I know you will. You don't... I, 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 I just... I just can't believe, and and perhaps it was just the DC Improv thing that triggered me this morning. No fault of Chris. I just keep saying that because I don't. But it, but it was like it was it, he was completely within bounds to send me that because it was like I'm telling him he's on my show, so we can't even get that right. And maybe this happens to everybody, but it feels at this point just awfully personal. <laughs> In the aggregate, in the aggregate, it just seems deeply personal. Um, and until ha half blackface, I just need it out because I need that burden lifted. I just need it. I, I just need to be like to know that it's in the rear view, which is, you know, much like my late late show with Craig Ferguson. It seems like my career milestones I can't truly enjoy. There's always going to be something fucking them up. 
making it less than enjoyable when these are things that are supposed to be like, you know, my happiest moment with Ferguson was I, I, I went out with my, my website guy for like dinner after. That was pleasant. <laughs> That's how I celebrated. I went out with my, my I, had a, I had a manager for, for, for four months. We, they never signed me and then they fired him. The agency fired him. But he helped get me on Late Late Show. And so I had dinner after one of my biggest career highlights with my website guy who lived in L.A. at the time and my temporary manager who would be fired uh, two months later and the agency would drop me because he was the only one who I think gave a shit about me there. And that was, that was fun. It's a weird thing. That was like, that was the pure fun. And then it was two weeks later that I was like, you should probably quit comp. You should probably just do it as a hobby. I go, wow. I'm not sure many people would consider making it onto late night television the moment to say, yeah, this isn't for you. <laughs> and then with your best special, the thing you've, you, you know, the, and you'll see this, this special was, was personal. I took risks because there's going to be people going, oh, he's insulting Sarah Cooper. He's talking about doing blackface in a video and saying it's okay. Like I took real risks with this, knowing our current climate. Um, and I don't mean risk like I'm brave. It was it's my fucking story, and and my, my whole thing is like if I can't tell my own story, fuck am I doing doing comedy? Um, if it's funny and it's personal and it's me and it's true or it's like part you know it, I, hey Cookie, um, she's barking in case it's not getting through the door. But the point of all this fucking diatribe is they took away the enjoyment again of the best thing I've done. So how do you how do you recover from that? How do you how do you do a a twenty year journey in a business that nothing good you do ever ends up feeling good? You know, obviously what happened with Late Late Show was personal. That was not the business. That was just a personal thing. But this this is the business. All these things that have been happening to me recently these are these are the this is the comedy business, and I don't. I don't know. It's just, how do you keep doing something like to get, it doesn't matter who it is. Is it going to be a girlfriend? Is it going to be a, 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 a tweet? Is it going to be a reporter? Is it going to be a, a former friend? Is it going to be a, a, a part of the industry? You get spit in the face. You, you do your best work and you consistently just end up worse off or feeling worse. Not even the same. So... This was one of those episodes, guys. So if it was a bummer, I apologize. But it's, you know, I got to get the bad vibes out so that the paying customers have a good 500-day party on March 7th. But some of you may know and some of you may not know, but 300 days to produce a special is absurd. And 500 days is like criminal. So that's objective. That's objectively speaking. That's not me going like, well, it's personal to me. No, that is that is an objective take on what a disaster this is. So, I don't know. I hope it's out soon. Um, you can catch me being funny uh, in Montclair, Boston, D.C., Philly, Princeton, and New York City over the next month. So it's a big month for me. It'll be a funny month for you if you make it to one of those shows or multiple shows. But... Uh, the, the, the New York City shows are very important to me because it's uh, 
like it's like Maxine Waters. I am reclaiming my time. Uh, I am reclaiming my comedy career one last time with those shows because Dana, who I've known since he did his first video with me, and we're coming up on 10 years of me working with Dana. His first video he ever did with me um, was the Louis C.K. Tells the Classics video, which uh, April 24th will be the 10-year anniversary. That is incredible. But that video sort of marks the second decade, literally the second decade of my comedy career where I've accomplished so much in the aggregate that I'm proud of, but have been so much more unhappy and unfulfilled with. Um, and it's not necessarily causation, but it's like things that have come with success or good content or whatever. There's always been like a fucking, you know, equally opposite reaction in some way, it seems, to, to a lot of the good stuff that's that's happened with me. Um, so I got a... I can't, I just can't let half back blackface be the last one because when Dana does this, I know he's going to take pride and care in this because he's, he's familiar with everything that happened with half blackface. So when he does this, I can trust that somebody I've worked for with for 10 years is going to do a good job and I will own all of it. It will be all mine and nobody will get their fucking hands on it. Nobody will take any piece of it. And if that ends up being the last thing I do, at least I get to end on a, my comedy career on a, like a good note, like a, like a, like a, yeah, that's, that's me. That's, you don't get to have the last word, half blackface, because unfortunately, no fault of your own, uh, people ruined it. So with that note, I'm going to go read and uh, eat a salad for lunch because I'm trying to be healthy. And, and then just sit on the couch watching Caintained and um, record Making Podcasts Great Again tonight. So it's just a, it's just another, another, just another fucked up Monday. Oh, I wish it was Sunday. Oh, then I don't depress people oh, with my fucking diatribes. Oh, Susanna Hoffs, what a hottie. Anyway, on that positive note, see you next Tuesday.